Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. The Limitless podcast was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community that show that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet, and we have another great episode for you this week. It is Blindness Awareness Month. Recently, I had the pleasure of joining uh, a different interview group, um, Outlook, Outlook Radio. They have a podcast as well, and they referred to Blindness Awareness Month as BAM, which I thought was pretty great. So <laughs> it, this in October is the time to learn about blindness and visual impairment. And we're coming to you with some interesting topics this month. So today we're going to be talking about forced inclusion, which we will define soon. But I wanted to introduce our co-hosts today, Ishita Clement and Ginny. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello. It's great to be back. Ishita, this was your your pitch. So can you tell us why you wanted to talk about this? Yes. So essentially, there is a situation that happened, um, I guess for context, I am a fourth year university student in my early 20s. Um, so I know the rundown of how university works and everything. And I'm in an upper division class. So we're all surrounded by third or fourth year students, um, just again, to give context to the situation. And I was in a class a couple of weeks ago, and this really made me think about this topic um, in depth. And I wanted to pitch it and see, like, and have a conversation about it um, to see how everyone else's circumstances or situations have like related to this and how we can sort of inform the public about this topic. So uh, I was in class and we had a verbal exercise where the professor was giving us uh, discussion questions and we had 30 seconds to talk to our neighbors about um, the question that he proposed. So it's a very non-visual task. Um, the professor was reading out the questions. So I was able to tell what they were. Um, and I was sitting to two, next to two individuals on my left and I was sitting uh, in the corner. So there's no one else on my right. Um, and those two individuals, I believe they knew each other from prior classes or were friends, um, and they started talking amongst themselves and kind of left, uh, it left me not being able to talk to anyone. And again, it was only 30 seconds per round. So I didn't want to be like, hey, talk to me too, um, because I thought just working through the questions myself would have been more efficient. And it would have just, I would have gotten the same points across either way. So um, in the first round, the professor came up to me and became my partner and was and was talking me through it. And again, it was OK. It was just um, he was supposed to be walking around the class and making sure that other people because they did have questions. I saw people raise their hands um, and he kind of told them to wait because he was staying with me. Um, and I was like, OK, that, that's fine. I told him you can just walk around. That's fine. I can walk through them myself. Um, the next couple of rounds, I was just doing it myself again. And. We had a break 10 minutes later and the professor came up to the two people next to me and said, hey guys, I think you should include everyone when you're talking and clearly like gestured towards me with his hand. Um, and the two people looked at me and I looked at them and it was very awkward. <laughs> and um, it kind of led them to ask me, well, like, 
did you want us to include you? And I said, oh, I didn't want to bother you because you guys were talking and I worked through the questions myself. It was fine. Um, but then they started asking me questions about my visual impairment, why I couldn't read the board and, and that kind of stuff. And it kind of, uh, I would say, outed me, my disability, without my permission. Because again, in a lecture hall, you don't have the opportunity to tell everyone that you're blind. Only the professor really knows. Um, and that brought me to the idea of forced inclusion, where a teacher, a parent, someone will try to include you in a situation where A, it's not necessary, um, B, maybe you just didn't want to be, um, but they perceive you as being excluded and try to force you into that situation. So that's kind of what we mean by forced inclusion, where, um, and it's gonna, it's an oxymoron for sure, and people may be confused, like, what is forced inclusion? Uh, and throughout this podcast, we've always talked about how inclusion is important, but we want to talk about that fine line where inclusion becomes forced and um, it may lead to more harm than actually benefit. And we know that people mean their best. They don't mean to do anything that harms us or uh, makes us feel embarrassed or anything, but we want to explore this topic a bit and talk about how inclusion can sometimes go wrong and what we can do to avoid that in the future. Very well said. Thank you for that. I feel like a key piece is choice, right? You didn't have any choice. You weren't asked. It was, it was just done for you. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're, and you're a yeah. grown up. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I felt weird because we're all in our 20, we're all adults. Um, and it really brought me back to when I was like in grade five, 10, and the teacher was like, no, include her. Um, and again, you know, it's, in some situations, we'll get into it, maybe it was necessary and because we're shy and we don't want to talk about it, but in this situation, it really wasn't necessary. And I think it just made it way more awkward for everyone else that was involved. All right. Well, I'd love to hear from Ginny and Clement why you were excited to join this conversation and maybe you have an example that you could speak yeah. to. Um, such an interesting topic. I just want to say um, definitely uh, that fine line topic. Um, for me, uh, I think I've definitely had a few instances of what I perceive as forced inclusion. I think also like everyone's boundaries are going to be different. So every blind person is going to have um, their own boundaries of what they consider inclusion, what they don't, um, which I think is also interesting because then that adds a whole other layer about how we're still individuals. Um, because like Ishta, you talking about that reminded me of like my classroom experiences. So I'm fully blind. Um, I'm also a university student, um, and everyone in my classes usually knows I'm blind and I have a guide dog and sometimes I can't really see who's around me. So I actually prefer like my professor to be like, Oh, there's someone to your left or, Oh, like join the people behind you. Um, or like just telling people, hey, like, can Ginny join your group? Um, and but that's I guess that's the difference is I'm OK with that. And I think that's what we're trying to get at. Um, I think um, when I first heard of this topic, it made me think of my first year at university, my first semester. I was in a psychology class. I've never taken psychology since just because this really, really impacted me. Um, but I had a professor who was having some challenges, including me, um, having, having some challenges, you know, being descriptive. So accessibility center, like talked to them a couple times, 
But then they started doing this thing where they'd be like, now I'm walking five steps to my desk. Now I'm walking five steps to the board. Now I am grabbing the marker to write on the board. And that, like, to me is forced inclusion. Like, too far. Like, that is not what we meant. Um, You know, completely missing the mark. Um, And then my second year, I took a nonfiction writing class. And uh, typically in my writing classes, everyone gets put into groups. Um, And typically the professor I usually have classes with just puts me in a group like everybody else. And she'll just be like, your group is going to do things digitally. Like no, but she'll just say that, Um, you know, that's just how it is. Um, In this class, my professor reached out to four individuals. They did ask me if they could do that part, which was fine. Um, the, The hard part, for me was the way they structured the email saying, you know, it's a special request. Um, I'm sorry for the inconvenience and the extra work. Um, It's much appreciated. Like they went as far as to say, you know, you'll get good karma um, for including me. So that's kind of (laughs) my kind of definitions of forced inclusion and why I really wanted to be a part of this topic. Wow. Thanks, Jenny. Clement, how about you? Wow. That's, can you top that one? I, <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's, uh, there's some, 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 some heavy boulders to outmatch. Uh, we don't have, wow. we don't have to top it also. No, no, no. I, you know what? And that's, I, I, I love this topic because inclusion of always has always been kind of like, if, if I was to pick one thing that's blindness specific that I've always, always, always found to be most important to talk about, it is inclusion, what it means, um, where that line is, um, how everything differs depending on the people, and how inclusion really has to start with communication. If you don't have communication, inclusion just doesn't happen. Um, and one thing that I, you know, I, I thought about when, uh, you know, we, we first got this topic request uh, from Ishta was, uh, inclusion is kind of like I, I came up with this metaphor a while ago because someone was mentioning inclusion being baked into things and I came up with a baking metaphor because I like food and uh, food metaphors are awesome and I said you know I, I kind of thought to myself inclusion is kind of one of those things that's like it's like when you're baking cookies or a cake and you have to use sugar and you know if you look at the recipes some some use salt um, and good inclusion is when you can't even tell that it's there right is when everything just kind of, it tastes good and you can't even, you don't, you can't distinguish the ingredients and how much sugar and salt there was. Um, Whereas forced inclusion can be like trying to add sugar to the cookies after they're already done, Mm. right? Because then it just becomes extra tooth achingly sweet and it doesn't taste good anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if you add the right amount that was listed in the recipe, the fact that you added it on afterwards kind of just makes a mess of the whole thing. So one experience, I had with this, uh, with one of my international students who was uh, from Korea. And the interesting thing about working with international students is you get all, you get a lot of people who come from cultures where they just don't interact with blind people or disabled people of, of any kind. Um, and when they are, when they do uh, in education, they're taught to, you know, be extra helpful, be extra, extra polite, extra courteous, whatever. And, uh, one day, one of her 
friend's children came to visit Vancouver. They just came for a week and uh, we went kayaking together, which was super cool. Uh, I was I was super glad to be invited. She kind of asked me, is like, oh, you were having a conversation. She said, you know, is there anything that you've ever wanted to like tell people uh, about being blind? I said, well, yeah, I mean, most of it is really uh, just comes down to being treated like everybody else. She looked at the kid next to her. She goes, did you hear that? And I was like, oh, that's not quite what I meant. <laughs> you know, like she was like, oh, you, that means they, you, you know, don't ask him any questions. Don't do anything. Just treat, you know. Mm see him the same way you know it was kind of what that came down and i was like okay that's not exactly what i meant so it was fine you know the 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 event was you know kayaking and all that and the conversation was really fun but it kind of that was the first time that made me really think it's like oh uh being treated like everybody else uh, yeah he, but when you, you've just been called but you out just kind of you out. just kind of overdid it yeah, you know, mm -hmm. and you almost made it more awkward. Um, and that's, you know, that kind of it, it's a more subtle form of forced inclusion. But of course, I've had the same experiences in, in school where, you know, you're the only one who's left out in a group and the teacher kind of says, hey, you know, you guys help this person out. And it's like, uh, OK, um, you know, and if they pick the wrong group, then they're not really enthusiastic about it or they're not. um you know, they don't want to be there and you don't want to be there. And it's just kind of, it gets awkward for everybody. Uh, you know, those are some things that I think of, but really I think this is an important topic and I want to talk about it because um, I, I personally want to come at it from an angle of communication and asking the right questions before making an effort to include, or uh, if you're planning on starting something, a group environment, uh, a community, um, how to start with, again, using that baking metaphor with inclusion as part of the recipe and the beginning process so you don't have to try and force it to happen later on. Yeah, I have a scenario too, but I, I think I want to dive into a couple of things because I think the getting into groups is a really interesting um, scenario that happens and it happens a lot. And it is stressful. Like I know for myself, whenever there's like, okay, I want you just to get into groups and you can choose your own groups. It brings back not being picked for teams or, you know, just yeah. all those like ah, cringy moments of my life where I'm like, I don't know how to navigate this. What if nobody wants to be in my group? Um, so it's interesting, you know, Jenny, you said you appreciate when the teacher sort of forces you into a group. Um, mm -hmm. whereas Ishita, you did not enjoy that. And I, I, I don't, I mean, ideally you want someone in the class yeah. to reach out and say, so, Hey, do you want to be in my group? Right. I think that why I'm also okay with it is because I also go to a, real, a smaller university. So we have about mm, 24 to 30 kids in our class, uh, students. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You're really bringing me back to high school days. <laughs> um, but, um, what kind of happens is sometimes there will be an odd number and a sighted person will be left out. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've had professors go, where can I stick you? Like, yes, <laughs> who can I put true. you with? So it's like, to me, I've kind of seen it like from both sides. The only times I really felt like I wasn't wanted in a group was the way in which it was delivered. And if my teacher doesn't ask, I think a lot of the times they do ask, um, rather than being like, include her, which is not what I prefer. Um, so I think it's all in the way of delivery. 
Yeah, I know. I, I agree with Ginny. And I think I'm, I, I would say I'm also fine with both, but in different contexts where, um, again, if, if the prof says, oh, there's someone there that doesn't have a group, go ahead. Do you want to join them? Um, I can mm-hmm. bring them to you or whatever. That is fine. Right. And I've gotten used to just asking if I can join a group, um, if it's to get the work done, if it's to I'll get the assignment done, you know, I'll, I'll join. And it's like, we'd have to be friends. That's fine. But we need to get the work done. And a lot of the times people are very um, receptive to that, to anyone in a class. Um, mm-hmm. My classes are quite large, usually 200 students. Um, and it tends to be a little bit harder for a lot of people to find people. So I tend to just work it out that way. Um, and if it's a necessary part of the class, I will make an effort to do it. But again, if it's only 30 seconds where we're just going to be talking about something when we're going to come back to the class and talk about it as a larger group anyways, mm-hmm. I don't see the point in me conversing with someone when they clearly already have a group established and forcing herself into it. Um, that, that, that's kind of what I mean. I'm fine. Again, um, I do. Yeah. I am partially sighted, so I'm able to see if someone's next to me. And if they're relative, like if their mouth is moving or I can hear them <laughs> if they're talking and I can just ask. Um, but again, it, it does take that out of your hands where sometimes, you know, you don't get along with someone and you'd rather not talk to them. Or um, again, you don't want to intrude if they're already talking to someone or if like just whatever the situation is and you don't know, especially, and we keep coming back to the school setting, but you never know because again, with so many students, you don't know what's going on in their lives. Um, it's, it can be hard and it can be hard to navigate. And you're right, Sean, anytime someone says, get in your groups, I mm-hmm. flash back to like high school and, um, you know, say if you didn't have a friend in the class and yes. no one really wanted to pick you in PE or, yeah. Yeah. or whatever, because you, you're seen as a kind of like a liability in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. group projects. Yeah. Like we want just to, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, group, it's like group, group yeah. assignments, especially. Right. And I, yeah. I, I, I will double down on what Ishita said about context because that is so important. Yes. yes. Like, like, like Ishita said, there are times when I don't like it, but I have to be okay with it because the situation calls for it. Yes. Um, yeah. But at the same time, uh, I, I don't think that is a good reason to say, oh, well, this is just a particular situation. I think if there's a chance to talk about it and address it later, um, it's something that needs to be addressed. Um, and yeah, the, 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 the dreaded phrase of getting, get into your groups, <laughs> a lot of our audience is going to face that. We've all faced that. A lot of our audience are in high school or elementary school. And so they're going to get there. Uh, and a lot of the, you know, the kids of our audiences are going to face that. And so that's, something to be aware of is that that is going to happen. And especially for me, what I've really noticed is uh, as we move out of this pandemic and uh, as we go back to the way things used to be um, and big events and stuff are happening a lot more, that is so much more cringy to me now <laughs> than oh, it was yeah. before. Yeah. Like I was like, okay, well before I didn't like it. Now it's just like, <clears throat> oh my God, groups. It really does, I think, uh, depend on the situation for me. There's certain things and, and 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 execution too. Like Jenny said, you have to get to know the people around you, and that that falls to us too as people who are blind and visually impaired. Is you have to know how a person delivers things, and you have to become you have to have enough of a relationship with them to address these issues. Um, and that again starts with the communication uh, from the very beginning when you join a class or. 
if you join a sports team or a school club, anything like that, uh, the very first thing to do is to get to know people and to say, look, this is what I need. If you wouldn't mind doing this for me every now and then, that would be much appreciated. Like I said, I, and I, I'm going to harp on about this for the rest of the episode probably, but if you if you do, if we do our absolute best to make those problems not be there to begin with, I think that helps a lot when those awkward moments do happen because they are inevitable. However, it hard is we try. hard to know what's going to come up. So yes. this is a good time for me to bring up what happened to me this weekend because so I was at a, like a counselor's retreat and uh, most of the people presenting throughout the day were my colleagues that I work with in my counseling practice, but one person was brought in. So she didn't know us. And, uh, you know, I'm guessing that the person who invited her to present had told her that one of our counselors is blind. So she had ideas in her mind of how she was going to do this. So we, I walked into the room. It was the first session after lunch, every, all the, the furniture had been rearranged. The chairs were set up in a circle and I was told, um, we're sitting in a circle. There's a chair here, you know, you can sit here. I'm like, okay, fine. So things start go underway. And, and, and then all of a sudden we're doing this activity that involves everybody writing on a piece of paper and then folding it and putting it in a bowl in the center of the room. Yo boy. And so she said, I know you have a computer, so you can just do yours on your computer. So weird, but okay, I'll put my computer on the bowl <laughs> that everyone's papers in. And then the next part of the activity was to move around the room. Now she doesn't, I don't think she ever has guided somebody who's blind. And so she just came over to me and started dragging me around the room. Where would you like to go? <laughs> And it was really awkward. And I said, I'll oh, take boy. your arm, but I didn't yeah. really know what we were doing exactly. So everybody's kind of moving around. You like move in into the, actually first we had to walk as close to the bowl as possible and feel the energy of the bowl. It's a long story, but anyways, uh, and okay. she, so she was standing behind me, but she had her hand on my back the entire time we were standing huddled together around the bowl with all our pieces of paper in it. Um, which I, I kind of wanted to say, stop touching me, but I didn't. And then, and then we had to move away and go a comfortable distance from the bowl and figure out where we wanted to stand. Uh, and then we could adjust again. So the point is she was trying to include me. She was confident that she could include me. No problem. Mm -hmm. You can just use your computer. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll drag you around the room, wherever you want to go. You can totally do this activity, but she didn't, she could have come up to me and, and told me what we were doing and said, yeah. we're going to need to write just a short thing on a piece of paper. Um, at which point I would have said, I can write mine on a piece of paper. I mean, I won't be able to read it back, but if we don't need to read it back, I, you know, I can still write it in, I can print. It's not tidy. You know, it looks like a grade two printed it, but I can do that. Um, I didn't need to use my computer. And then also like for the walking around the room, you know, here's how you can guide me and this would work really well. So if she had talked to me in advance and explained what what the activity was, I think that I, it would have gone more smoothly for me, but instead it was kind of embarrassing. You know, it's like, I, my computer is the only computer in there. Of course, everybody knows I'm blind. It's not that big of a deal, but now I'm being dragged around. It doesn't feel, you know, I kind of bumped into some things because she wasn't guiding me properly. And yeah. So 
you can't, but I didn't know, right? Like it wasn't really my, I didn't know what, what we were going to be doing in advance. So there was no way I could educate her. I was just kind of plopped into the situation and had to roll with it. Yeah. And I think that really speaks to Sean, like her intentions, however good they might be. Sure. We're in the right spot. Um, but again, execution and, uh, context, right? Like, yeah. speaks back Just to that. check it out. We're going to yeah. do a group activity. How would you like me to handle that? Or do you have a friend in the class that you'd like to partner with? Maybe they can prearrange that or mm-hmm. do the number off system. That makes it less stressful, right? Well, it's like- well, it's interesting. Inter- you said you said the person in charge of the retreat probably pulled the guest in advance. I would that assume too. she did. You would assume she did. And I, and I, 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 I feel like ask. that would have been Oh, no, I wouldn't ask. I would have just said, you know, next time if we do a retreat again, if there's a guest, can you put them in touch with me directly Mm. instead of just saying, oh, by the way, we have a blind counselor in in the group. And I I don't actually, it's interesting. I don't know whether she did. And maybe because there's both scenarios where it might have just been an oversight and no one thought to mention it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I know she wasn't shocked when I came in the room. So she, whether she was warned at the time she was hired or warned right before, you know, when she arrived at- Or just at really good at hiding it. Location. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that too, like warned, like, like yeah. I know that's not what you mean. Like, <laughs> yes. what is that? Like, why right. are we warning people? Mm-hmm. There's letting them know, like, hey, well, there's a, a person, like, here's what they need. But this whole, like, warn and shock like just i'm sorry that so, no you're right you're right I, and that's my just, own maybe that's, that's right, my yeah. own internalized ableism speaking of like i need you know people need to be warned that a blind person is going to be <laughs> no, present warn, i don't know warn just i mean but war I mean, we could we could talk about semantics but warn just means advise it's not it's a, necessarily i know, I know. yeah so, but i think I, I can warn you to be careful and that's not a bad thing. Right. So, yeah, you know. I think too, if um, someone was letting her know uh, that there is a blind, I usually like to be asked, um, Hey, do you want me to let them know? Do you want me to disclose it for you? Just because disclosing is a whole other um, sort of thing. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause I think Ishita in your situation, that was part of it, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe they didn't know you had a visual impairment and now all yeah. of a sudden you're being pushed into yeah. this partnership or, or it might and- not have been, it might not have been an issue. And then by pointing it out, the prof kind of made it one made it. a thing. Yeah. Right. So like in this situation, again, the prof knew the people didn't know. I did walk in with my cane. Um, but I don't think anyone really noticed because I was kind of like, I came late and I sneakily kind of just caught into class. And mm. um, so I don't think they noticed. And um, again, I don't appear quote unquote blind. Um, if I don't have my keynote, I'm just kind of sitting there and I just had my like, iPad out um, and that was it. So um, essentially the girl, because I, at that point, the prof had stopped reading out the questions um, because I think they thought that the person next to me would just read it out to me. So I was just sitting there and they were talking and then I couldn't contribute because again, it was actually going so much more smoother when I was doing it alone. Um, Mm -hmm. But I had to point, uh, tap them and say, do you mind reading it out? I can't read the board. Um, And then again, we're losing time. We only had like 30 seconds to talk about it. Um, And then we didn't, I didn't even, I had like, I think one sentence is all I got in, but in the break, they started asking me like, did you leave your glasses at home? Did you Mm. like, is there, I'm like, no, I'm legally blind. And then they're like, I think the response was, oh, cool. 
um no not 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 cool like I'm I'm sorry but like uh uh and I'm like uh <laughs> like I get it it's fine um and you know it opened up that whole conversation of uh, you don't need to feel sorry for me. It's okay. It's just um, usually the profits at all and I'm good. It's just I can't read the board. And that whole thing, which I wasn't prepared for because it was like 5 p.m. on a Tuesday and I wasn't <laughs> in the mood. I'm like, <laughs> you know, and again, I never have a problem with saying this stuff, but it's it's in that context of an academic setting where um, I'm just there to learn. I'm just there to get the information. Um and then go home. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like you, you tend to, it, it happens where you get, I would say outed without your permission. Um, yeah. and people just, you know, maybe just are hounding you with questions and they want to know more. And I understand the curiosity or wanting to understand. And maybe they, um, I've also had, I asked someone, I'm like, um, someone told me that they think that they should know they have the right to know if they're supposed to help us, like what, what's essentially going on with your situation I want to know and they come at it like not like a, I deserve to know it's like a, well I want to make sure I'm helping you properly so just tell me everything about your your condition and my thought was if we're friends if we're going to be like doing this long-term long-term partners throughout the semester sure I will be happy to tell you um but in a one-time interaction where maybe it's not relevant in my opinion and it'll just kind of drag out a lot of things. I don't see why it's necessary. Um, And again, sometimes it's just not, I would say worth it, worth it having that conversation because um, again, we're in a time situation. I'm happy to talk after class if you want to stay and and do it. And I always say that, but I'm like, just let me know if you have questions afterwards, I'm happy to stay. You can catch me outside. Um, But it's, it's like a, a th- I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, but like, I guess maybe they, again, they're coming from a point where they just want to help, but I'm coming from a point where I just want to get my work done <laughs> mm-hmm. and maybe I don't want to go through all of that. So, um, I don't think they yeah. need to know all, you know, it's kind of like, let's say you're light sensitive, but in the classroom right now, the issue is you can't read the board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it doesn't, you don't have to tell them all the details of your eye condition yeah. <laughs> in order for them to help you in this moment. Right. Yeah. yeah. It just depends on what you need. Mm-hmm. Yes. I remember being in high school and, and just so terrified that the teacher would out me because I was not telling people for the most part. So if any teacher said, well, actually, I remember this French teacher. Oh my gosh. He was writing on the overhead and he just kept writing it bigger and bigger and bigger and asking me, can you see it now? Can you see it now? Can you see it now? And it was mortifying. It was like, just be quiet. I can't see it. You yeah. know, I'm legally blind. I can't read the board. Yeah. It doesn't matter how big you make it. It's like, not good contrast. Yeah. Like, again, kind of draw, drawing attention to the issue yeah. when you didn't really mm-hmm. have to. Yeah. yeah. Now everybody knows. And then everyone starts asking you questions and you didn't get any control in yeah. how that was communicated. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And that, that kind of, you know, kind of brings me back to the experience that I shared at the beginning of the episode where it's like the person just kind of went normal. And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> it's like that's, uh, you know, you, you, you should not be the one telling other people how to treat me. Um, yeah. unless I ask you to, right. Yeah. Sean, you're, uh, just what you said with that teacher brought me back to when I was like in grade two, I was like, how old is I eight? Um, and I was in a second language class. Um, my school provided that at the time. And 
it also brings up the like concept of culture and how Clement said different cultures will treat you differently because of how they're used to or how they're um, educated to interact with people with disabilities. Um, and I had just started losing my vision because I, I started losing my vision when I was seven and I didn't know anything. I was super shy and I was just like, I kind of just let everything happen because I thought the teacher was all knowing. They, mm -hmm. they were there to help me and yeah. they're gonna protect me. Um, but the teacher essentially brought me up in front of the class and it was a class, I don't know, like 20 kids and essentially started doing a vision test um, oh my gosh why and they Sorry. kind of wrote out the letters um you know like kind of on a chart like a typical chart um and they got smaller and smaller as you go down um and it's basically started testing me and I felt mortified I actually was like mm -hmm. so upset I went home crying because I was like again mm -hmm. so I was really young and I didn't know what was happening yeah um and everyone was like laughing because the teacher was enabling them too because yes. they were also as well and, you know, I, I wanted to say, well, you're not a doctor. What are you doing? Like, mm -hmm. you're a teacher. You're here to educate us, not yep. mortify your students. And, you know, and, like, I think in these situations, we bite our tongue and just kind of move on with it. But mm. um, bless my mom. She came in and <laughs> started talking to the teacher saying, this is not appropriate. You can't do this. Well, um, especially if especially if you're in an environment where the cultural norm is to bite your tongue mm -hmm. uh, the way yep. we are a lot of the time mm -hmm. um, as people who come from more Eastern cultures is when someone wrongs you, it doesn't matter what they do. If they're older than you. Yeah. The idea is to just shut up and take it. Yes. Um, and 100%. so for, for us who grow up in those families or go to the schools like that, or are part of communities like that, it's a much harder thing to figure out when to talk and when to push and when not to push. Um, but that I can totally see why that would be mortifying. And that's, I think it's any power cool. imbalance. I mean, I, I yeah. had an experience with a teacher too, a PE teacher who was trying to get me to be able to hit the baseball with a bat. So she put her arms around me from behind me without my consent, without telling me this is what we were going to do. It's basically kind of giving me this bear hug from behind holding oh. the bat. And I was 13. I was in grade eight. It was so embarrassing. And just all so that I could try to hit the ball. Of course, we didn't connect right away. So it took several tries. And she was trying to include me in baseball, but I do not want to be included that way. Right. And I didn't say anything either, even though I was, yeah. I was really uncomfortable. So yeah, I think, and when we're blind or, or partially sighted, we're used to people kind of touching us to show us things and, or, you know, just things that people are doing to try to make the experience more meaningful. It's so important to ask first or to let us know what you're about to do or, yeah, or, but ask like, yeah. do you want to play? How would you like <laughs> to play like how can we make this work for you do you have any ideas like involve me in the process so, maybe you hit the ball and then guide me to the base I don't need yeah. to be the one to hit the ball like yeah. I don't know right it depends on the person again a lot of the times we interact with professionals so whether it's a professor who's an expert in their field like Sean in your case the person who was leading the workshop or the retreat um parents anyone who is an expert in their own thing that they're trying to help us with what I come out with when I tell them is that we're both experts. You're an expert yeah. in your field. 
I'm an expert in my condition and my experience and myself. I know what's going to work best, but I want to work with you to, to, to see how we can include both of us in this conversation and make it as inclusive as possible. I think sometimes, it doesn't happen all the time, but people tend to get upset when you tell them how their materials should be presented. Um, and I think mm. it's happened sometimes where miscommunication happens and I try my best to let them know that, no, no, I'm not trying to switch out what you're teaching or what you're saying. I just want to come at it with the idea that you understand that I know what's best for me. I don't mm -hmm. want you to take that out of my hands. Mm -hmm. So, and I also say, I, this is what I say. So you're an expert in your field. I'm an expert in myself. Um, so maybe we mm -hmm. can find a balance with both. That's generally like the exact wording that I say with That's them. Really and sometimes it goes mm -hmm. over well, sometimes it does not. And, um, but I found that since I started saying this, especially to like, and again, school context professors, um, because they're often in their own research all the times and they're own, they're so used to what they are teaching that yeah. they're not expecting someone else to come in and, and have a different experience. Um, I find that that actually goes over very well all the time. And it's so nerve wracking. I find it so nerve wracking when it's a professional who's been in their field for like 50 years and, yeah. and, you know, just have never been challenged on stuff. It's, it's really hard, but uh, that's like one way that I found that to approach it to make myself feel a bit better and calmer and safer. Um, and I have had positive experiences with this. I think I just want to add on, you brought up, you worry. And I think I always with professors, though, like I, you know, I like to advocate, I think I do a, an okay job at that. I always get worried about grading, about the rest of the semester with them, because you're there with them, right? For the rest of the class, or they're the ones grading you. Like, it's kind of like they have something over you. I mean, I'm not saying that professors would do this, but it is something I always really worry about um, mm. in terms of that, especially, like, what I try to do is, like, hold off on things. Like, again, bite my tongue until the end of the semester and then say it. But then I feel like I can never take a class with them again, but why would I want to? But I feel like within mm. that power imbalance, I, I often feel like there's something kind of being held over. So yeah, it's definitely something to, to consider, right? Who, who is this person? What is the behavior they're doing? How harmful is it? And, and what are the consequences of speaking up? And yeah. are, if they're embarrassed by you calling them out or, or not calling them out, that sounds confrontational, but just asking them to do it differently or trying to educate them. Um, what are the consequences of that? So I think we do have to make, like, I didn't say anything to this person, I, I guess I could follow up with some feedback, but she didn't ask for any. So do I, um, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I probably should, but it wasn't my instinct. I just kind of walked away and was like, well, that's over. Okay. <laughs> I got through it. I still, the activity was still meaningful for me. I learned what I was supposed to learn. And thankfully it was in front of a group of people who know me fairly well now and are very lovely and accepting. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel too embarrassed, but if I was at like somewhere where I was with a bunch of counselors, I'd never met before. And that happened, I probably would be really embarrassed. So yeah. How do you decide, right? What to say, when to say it. Yeah. Again, it's back to that thin line again. Uh, so much gray. <laughs> 
life is gray a lot of the time but yeah. I, I think it really does and, and for me it it comes down to where wherever possible because like sean said earlier sometimes it's impossible to do that in advance but to to develop as much of a relationship as you can have with somebody yes because the the issue with trying to convince anybody of your viewpoint or your perspective or your knowledge is if they don't know you first then they're probably not going to listen to you. I, I had I heard one yeah. person say this to me a, while, a long time ago, and it's always stuck with me. And they it's it's that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Mm. And that's always it's always stuck with me because I can't. If I'm gonna, you know, if someone is under the impression that I'm only talking to them because I want to educate them about my blindness and not because I want them to, I genuinely care about them and I want them to make, you know, whatever. Thing they're leading or in charge of smoother for everybody, not just for the blind person, but just for people in general. That what whatever I'm trying to sell doesn't get bought a lot of the time. Whereas I've found in my experiences where you actually sit down with people as much as you can, again, because sometimes it can't happen, but wherever possible, um, if you go out of your way to actually develop a connection with the person yes. first and then address those issues even if those issues have already come up first, um, I, I find there's a lot more receptivity there and a lot more willingness to listen once they know you um, yes. as opposed to just kind of knocking on the door and saying, hey, I need this, please and thank you, bye. You know, I, <laughs> I that approach just doesn't work a lot of the time. Also, you know, when you can see the intent is... Like, so recently I attended this networking event, um, with an organization that is a funder of ours and, um, afterwards, and I can, t I know that this organization is really trying hard to mm. be inclusive. You know, they, they use pronouns when they introduce themselves. They always do a territorial acknowledgement They're They're just like very thoughtful in many of the things that they're doing, but there were some things at the event that weren't accessible to me. And I felt safe enough because we have a relationship with these people and have for two years. And I also feel like I've had an invitation to mm. teach them about blindness. Mm. They've reached out to me at certain times to ask if things are accessible documents and stuff. So I, I gave some feedback in a, mm. and I said all the things that were great and, and that I appreciated the efforts they were making, but also there were some things that for me, um, you know, maybe could have been done differently. And they actually reached out to me first. They thanked me for their feedback. Then they talked it over with their team. And then they asked if I would connect with them to, to give them some feedback on the plans for their next event. Mm. And I think that, and I actually couldn't even make it to the next event, but I gave them <laughs> some suggestions that would work for me better, mm. um, at a networking event. And, and they, they did follow those suggestions mm. and, you know, so like that's, you could tell it felt safe. I felt yeah. safe to give feedback. I felt that they would be receptive. I did it in a really respectful way, acknowledging the efforts that they were making, but you know, if I know you want to be an inclusive organization and here are some ways that you could be even more inclusive than you already are. Yeah. And of course it's, it's, it's real. It, that's exactly it. Right. When you know that their intentions are good, even if their execution is kind of off, it's a lot more inviting to talk to those people than from people who mm -hmm. you can tell are not inclusive to begin with and don't really care to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that speaks to their environment, like the one that they created. Um, I think also people have this con 
misconception that inclusion means everything needs to go smoothly like there's there's no bumps in the road it's like no it's never going to be perfect and like just talking through this topic we we think it's complex and we're on the other end of it so I can only imagine how people who don't deal with this on everyday basis how complex it can be for them so so So, I'm I'm curious if everybody has an experience where that does happen where it is inclusive it's kind of messy sometimes but it works out a lot better I was just than... gonna ask that let's talk yeah. about some scenarios was, that have worked I out really well I was gonna say too like I prefer, I prefer that like so many people are afraid I've... to mess up but I'd rather them you know mess up and we work it out and I feel so much more included than like try to make this like smooth process and I think like honestly and every good um experience I've had has had something like not work out need to be reevaluated or has like some sort of messy component to it um and I think that that just speaks volumes because nothing always goes according to plan like we'll always have um you know uh like a, a plan but then things change or um uh, things shift can do you have an yeah. example of a time when it worked out well yeah, so recently um, I got asked to talk about accessible farming um, because we live in the Fraser Valley. Um, there was, we were really affected here by the flooding. Um, and um, my, one of my professors is working with uh, agriculture, ag, Agricultural Safety BC um, in kind of putting on workshops for children, um, especially those who were impacted. Um, so just kind of educating them on different things, farming. And my station uh, was accessible farming. So what I had to do was kind of come up with like a game plan of how I was going to run this. Um, what we decided was to do like print off some things for the kids um, and they would have to like match these sort of things together, but they were going to be printed off for them. So we we had like rotation so I had about three or four like groups of kids come in and I think each time we had to adapt it the first time the professor really had to help kind of really be a part of the process because um she was the one who laid out the pieces of paper around the room and I was like you know it was a bit harder um the second time she wasn't there um at all and we didn't really use the pieces of paper because a lot of people a lot of the kids weren't really intrigued by that um but that presentation went short and um I was just having a lot of trouble I didn't actually even know the kids came and sat in um for like the first five minutes um and so that wasn't working and then the third the third group we kind of did a combination of the two um she wasn't there for some of it um I used the papers just a little bit um, and I, they were just kind of like, we kind of patterned them around the room. So the outside edge, the inside edge, and then in the middle of the circle, just so I kind of know where things were uh, better placed. Um, And then like certain things that I couldn't read, um, she read out um, or like finding like an infographic, like I made her do that part. So kind of like, again, how Ishita was saying like, you're the expert in this. I'm the expert in this. Like, let's do it together. Like interdependence. Yes, I wasn't fully independent and that might be a problem to some, but it's that interdependence and it maybe took us a couple tries, but we figured it out. And we're doing another one um, this coming um, 
this coming month. So I'm definitely going to be like, oh, let's do it a little bit differently. And she's probably going to be like, yeah, like let's change it up and see how we can better uh, make it. So maybe you don't have these issues again. That's a really good example of like not really knowing what you need until you're in it, right? You're like, it was the first kind that we ever did uh, something like this, I think. So Hmm. yeah. I'm trying to think of an example for me. The most recent one was actually the class I took last semester, one of them. Um, and it was a class on the different types of counseling. So it was an educa- educational counseling. Um, and I was really excited for the class itself, going into it. And um, I read over the syllabus. And it's actually very similar to the class I'm taking now in terms of its layout. Um, and not much visual components. So I thought it would be fine going in. Um, and after I met the professor, um, things were just, uh, it was actually very great. <laughs> she was um, very just inclusive in her nature, I would say. Um, and she was very open about her experiences of dealing with um, a lot of awful stuff being an Indigenous woman and in the education realm and as a professional and being very, I would say, vulnerable with her students and telling us that if at any point you do need help, um, please reach out to me, to your fellow classmates, to anyone you feel comfortable with and establishing that this class was a safe space. Mm. Um, And I don't think a lot of professors take the time to do that at all, (laughs) in at least my experiences. Um, And it could just be the nature of the class, you know, we're talking about more vulnerable stuff in counseling, um, but that really opened the door for me to tell her about just my experiences in school itself. Um, I did have some issues with her uh, class, not her fault necessarily, but majority of the class was centered around presentations and a lot of this, it was student-led presentations. So the students were adding in components that we needed to take part in, but were very visual. So you had to read elements of of the question. You had to look at the infographic that was on the board. Um, and discuss based on that. Um, But because of the environment that they set up, she set up in the class, I was comfortable to just um, reach out to the groups beforehand and say, hi, I'm a fellow classmate. I just want to ask if your presentation is going to have anything visual just so I can know beforehand and like prepare for it. Um, And that was, uh, you know, I I told her afterwards, this is how I dealt with it. And she's like, "Um, I'm so happy that you didn't even find the need to ask me that you felt so comfortable just reaching out to your class. Um, and some, some people didn't, and that's okay. <laughs> I just had to sit out or talk to a group member, or do whatever I could to still take part in it. So it wasn't like all smooth, but mm-hmm. I think the overall experience of it being so positive and natural, um, like Clement said, I think it was baked into her own class, the way that she built it. Um, not necessarily in the syllabus, but in the way that she taught, in the way that she was treating us. Um, Mm-hmm. that's why I felt so comfortable just to speak out when something wasn't fair. I also brought in disability a lot with my presentation um, just to, uh, cause I thought it was fairly relevant to what we we're talking about. And some people did come up to me and ask questions. And again, because it was already an open and honest discussion, I was happy to talk about it, but um, like, that's the most recent explanation, like sorry, example I can think of, <laughs> but it goes back to communication was, was spot on from the beginning. Um, it was so inclusive and brings back to your point, Sean, of the environment just being so safe and you're, you feel um, happy to give your 
uh, feedback and it mm-hmm. was listened to. Mm-hmm. And um, so it kind of hits all the points that we kind of talked about. And it was a really, really great class. And I'm, I, I wish she was teaching, but she's only doing graduate level classes. So I was like kind of sad about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that creating that safe space, like genuinely it was, you know, like some people say, I, I want this to be a safe space and you can, but like you else, you have to embody it almost. You have to, you, yeah. know, you have yeah. to believe it. Right. And when you felt safe, you, it was easier to advocate for your needs. Mm-hmm. For That's sure. so, such an important point. Cause I, you know, yes, it's our responsibility to do our part, but sometimes it's just darn scary to do. Right. <laughs> depending on the situation and how safe we feel in that mm-hmm. environment. I think we could talk about this much longer, but yeah, this also so <laughs> feels like a good place to wrap up. I'm so appreciative, Ishta, that you brought this topic up. I think this was a fantastic conversation. And thank you, Ginny and Clement, for, for joining us for this. Yeah, thank you. It was a, yeah. definitely a good topic. And I think that there's a lot more we can discuss here and um, this is only just scratching the surface of it. I'm glad to be part of it. Thank you. I think also just just to wrap up, last thought that I had is, as the listeners, again, um, we draw out how this is a very complex topic, and some people may be walking away from this a bit more confused. Hopefully we did <laughs> answer some stuff, but it is a very, very complex issue, and just kind of giving a blanket solution is, doesn't do it justice. And I think communication goes the long way. Like it, it, I think having an open dialogue really, really can make all the difference in some cases and also making a safe and inclusive environment as much as you can. Um, but it's a two-way street. We will do what we can to make sure that we are advocating for ourselves, um, but also you just reaching out in the most um, appropriate, safest way to us, I think makes all the difference. And it is a bumpy road um, so hopefully we all can strap in and just deal with it and we all come out um, unharmed and have like a very great experience overall with it. Yeah. And we do appreciate, like we've mentioned, we do appreciate the intent. We do appreciate your intentions behind it. And yes. we're not trying to say that, you know, we don't. So I think one thing that's popping in my mind is consider the feelings of the person you're trying to include yes so it's not just about can we join it's how do we feel now that we're now that we are joined right like just consider what you're about to do and how that might impact the person like it's so great that you want us to be included but yeah how do you think this feels for for me now that you're whatever doing whatever you're doing and if that's feel if you think that feels good then you're probably on the right track. All right. Thanks again, you guys. Um, And thanks to our listeners. This is uh, Blindness Awareness Month, and it's important to learn as much as you can in order to understand about blindness and visual impairment. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast, like, subscribe, leave us a rating, and join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted along with their families. 
Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca. And also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time.